You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Palm Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hey, Mushing Radio listeners, we mentioned this earlier in our Iditarod coverage, but we set up a way to take questions from our listeners. Please leave a voicemail at 303-578-9881, or you can send a voice memo to firstpawmedia at gmail.com. Leave your name and where you are calling from, and please, if you want us to use it, keep your questions to under 30 seconds. That's it. Let me give you the number again, 303-578-9881, or you can send a voice memo to firstpawmedia at gmail.com. We can't wait to hear from you. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Robert, and I am joined tonight by my co-host, Tony and Michelle, and we are continuing our Iditarod 2023 coverage here on Mushing Radio you can listen to us over on KVRF 89.7 in the Matsu Valley. RadioFreePalmer.org is our live streaming site. You can find all of our old episodes over on FirstPod.media. Make sure you check us out on social media as well under the same name. And before we get started, I have a couple of very cool announcements. The first one is welcome to our newest Patreon member, Stephanie. She joined just before we jumped on the air. And... I want to congratulate all of our listeners throughout this coverage. We <laughs> reached the top 50 in podcasts in Apple in the world by doing our Iditarod coverage. I sent over uh, the stat this morning from, uh, from Apple. Michelle, what do you think about that? Top 50, that's pretty impressive. Well, I mean... We've been doing it a while, and I know that we've been in the top 50 before, but it's been a long time. It has. Tony, I know you're sort of new to this game, but that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? That's scary. That means people are listening. <laughs> I know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm beyond elated. And again, thank you, everybody, to, uh, that is listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. And of course, thank you, everybody that has reached out to us, asked us questions on all of the formats. And we're, we're sort of pulling all the stops out with voicemails and text messages and voice memos and Patreons and Twitters and Facebooks and everything else. So thanks again. But unless you're living under the rock in the last uh, 12 hours or so, I guess 10 hours or so, we do have a brand new Iditarod champion, Ryan Reddington pulled in 
uh, somewhat early this morning. It was pretty well predicted about what time he was going to come in. But before that, oh my goodness, they had a crash of the internet. Before we do our trail report, Tony, I know that you were trying to follow Insider <laughs> and many others as well, but uh, you almost didn't get to see the finish. Is that right? Uh, thankfully, there were so many people in Nome that found out very quickly that Insider went down that they all popped on to live stream it on both Twitter and Facebook. Um, friends of mine on Twitter, Heather and Susan went live um, to help people out. Uh, my friend Christy, who lives in Nome, she also went live to help both myself and our friend Ari out. Um, and then Dallas Stevie. I know I've gotten I've gotten some hate mail uh, in the last 24 hours that I've mentioned that name a little bit too much, and I do apologize. But when he's everywhere, it's hard not to talk about him on a podcast about the sport he is king of. So um, he did he did several lives, one from the beach and then one right there at, at the finisher shoot. So there were ways that people could see it. Um, but there was a lot of frustration by longtime insiders who were just absolutely devastated that the most historic win that they could think of was not being properly broadcast. And before, you know, everybody gets upset with either, you know, for or against Insider, I do agree that it's very hard. You know, Greg is producer, director, commentator. He's doing a, he wears a lot of hats. I don't think he even knew that things were down because it happened during the broadcast. So he wasn't even available to troubleshoot. All of his people in New York were doing that. That makes it even more difficult. I'm not a TV expert. I'm not a streaming expert. I can barely keep my blog going. Um, but it it was a very strange thing. It didn't surprise me, but it was strange. And folks were even holding up their iPhones to their Zoom screens and uh posting it that way as well. Uh, interesting times for sure. And I don't know if it was an internet problem, you know, the, a feed problem based on bandwidth, but I've been in Gnome a few times and at best, uh, the internet is spotty. And unless you're in the right spot, holding your, uh, your phone at the correct angle, uh, you know, with the wind going the right way, you're not going to have the best internet there in rural Alaska. But I'm sure it's gotten better now, but my goodness, that's sort of like uh, uh, having a blackout during the Super Bowl. And I think that happened a few years ago yeah. when they played in the Superdome and uh, and the Super Bowl went to a blackout. And I think the world almost ended then. Yeah, that was the Ravens versus the 49ers. And I didn't watch that one. I watched the uh, Testamina 200 finish instead. So I missed all of that. So, but I will say that I think it was more of a server problem than it was an internet problem, which I guess is kind of the same thing, but not because the entire Iditarod website went down. Wow. It wasn't just the live streaming. It was the GPS. So everybody in Nome who's waiting to see, you know, where Ryan is so that they can leave their home and come down to the finish, uh, they were SOL just like the rest of us back at home. So 
it uh it was it was very strange i've never seen that happen in all of the years that i've had insider i've never seen the entire site just go down with no explanation and am i correct but the siren was not working either yeah um people in gnome started talking about it really strongly today but i guess last week there was a fire in the building that holds the uh, tsunami siren. And uh, they actually have two sirens on, I believe, either side of town. Neither one of them is working. So uh, they use the sirens on the ambulances and the uh, police cars to let people know when uh, Ryan was coming off the sea ice. Well, I tell you what, I know that there's a new Gremlins movie that's coming out on HBO, I believe, sometime <laughs> this year. So it's either Gremlins or some other or big deal. But what's even more troubling there is all of the fires that happen in Nome. I don't know if it's just those lax building codes or just really old infrastructure, but they have a heck of a hard time with fire up there, don't they? It's been a big deal, especially since Typhoon Murbach uh, hit Western Alaska. We saw the, um, that was the storm that the fire happened. It was ironic. Here's all of this water everywhere. And yet there's this huge fire that takes out the Bering Sea uh, Saloon and restaurant, which is connected to the Nugget Inn, the hotel that they use for Iditarod. Um, and that was the, that part of the building is still up, but it's not usable. Um, you know, just a lot of things. And that's what happens when you're in more remote Alaska. Yes, Nome is one of the hubs, but it's still, you're using a lot of old material to build. And it's not easy to just go to Lowe's or Home Depot because, spoiler alert, Nome doesn't have one of those um, to get, you know, to, to get those replacements materials when your house is starting to show signs of age so it's 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 sad i i don't like hearing about it i told a friend i was like do you guys think you have an arson she goes no i just think we have a really old town so right she would know she lives there <laughs> so let's let's jump into our trail report as as of right now when we're recording just about 7 p.m alaska time Ryan Reddington came in in eight days, 21 hours, 12 minutes, 58 seconds. Uh, Pete Kaiser, just a little under an hour uh, behind him. And then Richie Deal, about an hour behind him. And then Matt Hall are the four mushers into Gnome as of recording. And then we have a really cool story about Kelly and Jesse. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Matt, Millie, Milla, Eddie Burke, Hunter Keefe, and Wade Mars are either on their way from safety or on their way from White Mountain. And then in the back of the pack, we have pretty much the same group, Eric, Jed, Jason, Bailey, Bridget, Joanna, and Gerhardt. There's just been a little bit of movement there. No other scratches uh, as of right now, but remember that uh, Eric, Jed, and Jason are on their way to Shaktulik. So there's still quite a bit of trail there, about, uh, I don't know, what is it, 170 miles or or whatever. So that's still quite a bit of trail there. So that is our trail report. But let's jump into this uh, and, and talk about 
our new champ. And I would like all three of us to, to comment on this, but I'm going to have you go first, Tony. What do you know about uh, this historic win for the Reddingtons? And uh, what does it mean for you as, as a huge fan of the race, uh, the state of Alaska, whatever direction you want to go? Tell us about uh, Reddington's run, if you will. It's a big, deep breath in and out. Every year we hear it, we see the pressure on no matter which musher it is with the last name of Reddington. The question is, is this the year that you're going to bring dad or grandpa his trophy home. Um, that's something that we've heard Ryan talk about in depth, uh, especially recently. Last year, the 50th running of Iditarod, he, his whole theme was Reddington's run. Um, this year was the sequel of Reddington's run. He just put a different year on the t-shirt. Um, so it was definitely one of those things where it's like, yes, we finally got it finally got it we can move forward from here kind of like when you know you you hear a Mackie um name you know you hear and and I'm talking from a media perspective it's like hey your dad won in this year or hey your dad was in the first one um but there was there was that pressure and then there was the pressure of the Reddington family um you know all eyes are always on them because that name is so familiar and synonymous with this race it's Joe Reddington's race. He's the father of Iditarod, and yet the father of Iditarod hadn't gotten a championship either himself or any of his family until today. Um, it was very exciting. There were concerns, and I, and I do want to bring that up. I don't want to, you know, we harped on it a little bit last night, um, but, you know, he came into White Mountain looking exhausted. His dogs definitely showed signs of fatigue mentally um i think more than physically it's very difficult and i want to really push this it's very difficult to watch on a computer screen even if you blow it up on your tv screen it's very difficult to see exactly what's going on with those dogs mentally and physically you can kind of gauge it you can see if you know the wheels are really coming off and it did feel like that in white mountain i did not watch him uh roll out uh, there at midnight. Um, I know there are a lot of fans that had concerns about what they saw. I can't comment on that. I have not seen the footage. Um, but by the time he reached safety, and it did take a while, they weren't kicking up big speeds. We weren't talking Ramey Smith-like speeds or right now Jesse Holmes, who's just flying into Nome as we're talking here. Um, you know, he, he didn't he didn't break any world records, but he certainly didn't have that moment quite as bad as like Brent Sapp when his dogs just would not go for 24 hours. Um, there was a little bit of coaxing is my understanding. Again, not seeing the clip, I can't judge that. Um, but by the time they made it into Nome, they looked like just about every other um, finish that I've seen either in person or on a computer screen or TV screen with maybe the exception of Mitch Stevie in 2017 when he just came flying and nobody even expected him for another hour. Um, you know, that wasn't the norm. This was more the norm of just quiet dogs coming in very excited, very looking around at the different things going on, but they were focused, much more focused than they were coming into White Mountain. So I think that rest was enough. 
uh, I personally probably would have said, hey, let's stay here another hour. But if he had stayed any longer than nine hours in White Mountain, we'd be talking about a repeat for Pete Kaiser. We would not be talking about the win for Reddington. Michelle, what are your thoughts on Ryan's run today? Um, you know, for the family that we know pretty well, Robert, um, I, I got to say congratulations. This has been a long time coming, just as Tony mentioned. And um, it, it's, it's so easy for fans and even other mushers to criticize when they're not in the moment they don't know these dogs and i mean sure maybe he did push them a little hard but every musher does especially once they leave unicolite and i mean i gotta say um i would trust ryan's judgment over all of the armchair mushers out there I saw a post earlier today that said something about uh, quarterbacks have Tuesdays off in the NFL. And I think that that is a direct jab (laughs) to uh, the Monday morning quarterbacking that is constantly going on in sports, whether it is football or dog mushing or whatever. Unless you're out there, you probably don't know what's going on, no matter what the sport is. Of course, it is the nature of sport to argue about and criticize and point out faults and everything else about other people's accomplishments, accolades, or whatever. So that's the first thing I have to say. Secondly, I think that uh, Barb and Ramey are definitely happy mom and dad for sure. And they have another team (laughs) that is doing very well out there that we're going to talk about in just a second. Uh, Another thing is uh, Ryan is an uh, an Anupiak Alaskan native, and I think that's a pretty cool story in of itself. We talked a little bit about that, and it looks like we have two other uh, Alaskan natives, as we predicted last night, that came in. But what I think is the coolest thing, uh, Michelle and Tony, is that Ryan, in just a little while, will have a trophy in his house that is... One of the biggest trophies in sports, of course, it kind of sits up there with the Stanley <laughs> Cup, but that trophy is of his grandpa. How cool is that, that you have a trophy in your house that is a bronze bust of grandpa? I think that's pretty awesome. It's it's a huge, it's a huge statu- statuesque bust of of Joe, it, if you want to see, it's mirrored or designed after the statue that sits out front of Iditarod headquarters there on Connect Goose Bay Road. Um, it's uh, from, taken from a picture that's very famous of Joe with his lead dog. I think it's a Jeff Schultz portrait. I could be mistaken. Um, and then it has the burled arch over him for those that don't know what the, the trophy looks like. Um, and each champion gets that trophy there's one that sits in the um the headquarters and they put a new nameplate every year and i don't know what they're going to do when they run out of room finally but um but then each champion also gets one of those even if they've won it before they get another one so those that have four or five in the case of um 
you know, Dallas or, or Rick Swenson, they've got five. They've got to find room for all of these. They're not small. <laughs> they're huge and they're solid. Um, they're really cool, but goodness, they're big. Um, I want to know, is it going home with Ryan or is it going to sit at mom and dad's? Because if you've seen pictures, uh, Barb Reddington likes to post pictures of her living room throughout the year as she's changing it up for the seasons or whatnot. It's, people make fun of my little guest room that I've shared the pictures of with all of the Iditarod memorabilia and mushing memorabilia that I have. Barb's living room, literally, there's, you don't see the wall. You just see pictures and posters and paintings. I want to know if she gets the trophy for her living room. I am petitioning Ryan to at least share custody with his parents. Yeah, and uh, we were talking about off-air about how Ryan travels back and forth from Alaska to either northern Minnesota, northern Wisconsin every off-season. I don't suspect he will travel with that bad boy back and <laughs> forth every time. So I, I would, I, I would suspect, know, man. I, I would suspect that it stays at at mom and dad's house. Michelle, anything on the trophy before we go on? Uh, no, I have nothing on the trophy. I think it's a spectacular <laughs> honor to receive one. So one other thing about uh, Ryan, uh, Tony, what was the, what's the lead dogs that, uh, that were there with him with the roses and all that? Do you know? Their names are Sven, he's four, and Ghost, who is six. Awesome. And they have the Golden Harness Award uh, that they will present at the uh, Mushers Banquet. And hopefully we are on the air on Sunday at about the same time that they're reporting on those um, those awards. So we can talk a little bit about those. Sometimes we even do a Monday show to sort of give a recap, but we typically mm-hmm. do that if, uh, if we have a really late uh, Red Lantern winner, which I don't think we're going to have today. So let's jump over to the next story, and that is what the heck is going on with Jesse Holmes I guess he's just burning up the trail, passing people as he's going, and uh, really competing for one of those top spots. Yeah, he's actually coming into Nome, uh, I believe, as we're speaking, because I'm looking at the GPS, and if he's not there, he's just about there. Um, But he came into White Mountain about two hours behind Kelly Maxner last night or this morning i don't even know what the numbers mean anymore um and they are now both running but he managed to pass or well he managed to catch up with kelly maxner in safety in or around safety and he has now passed maxner there's quite a gap of at least a couple miles between them there's no there's no steeple jousting in no man's land again I want that just once. Um, <laughs> every year, every year I hope for it, and nobody gives it to me. I don't know if it's it's not against the rules. I don't see anything about you can't hit your competitor with them. Right. So, um, but yeah, so Jesse's coming in right now. Kelly's behind him. So Jesse's actually going to take that top five spot. Kelly will be sixth. Um, and then we've as we're talking about these crazy where what is happening, Eddie Burke's doing the same thing. He's passed Milla. 
Um, and he's running right along with Matt Taylor. I don't know if he's going to catch him and pass him or not, but uh, I think rookie of the year, we can, we can just solidify it right now. We know who that's going to be in Eddie, but yeah, Jesse, you know, he had a hard go in that second leg. He was kind of far back. Then his drop bags didn't make it to either Shagaluk or Eagle Island. I can't remember. There, there was something in there. Uh, where they were dealing with uh, missing drop bags. So he had to change his strategy on where he was going to eight uh, on the Yukon. Just a lot of crazy things. And yet here, Jesse Holmes, he's making a top ten, top five finish. And we thought top 10 was going to be good for him. And we weren't even sure he was going to make that. Very cool. Uh, when you're able to, to really just run your race and do it well, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so all of these guys that we were talking about for our top five uh, lookies, looky lose, if you will, uh, are doing very well. Uh, next on my list is um, is is what? What am I missing before we? Oh, the questions. The questions is where we're at. <laughs> uh, so one of the first, we have a couple. We have a, a text question that we came in. We put a text. Uh, broadcast out on Twitter and one of our Facebook pages today. We have that. But the first question I got uh, this morning was, what is the qualification for Rookie of the Year? And it's my understanding, maybe I'm mistaken, Tony, but I think the only qualification is the first rookie that comes into Nome. Am I correct on that? Yes, with the caveat that this is their first time in Iditarod, you know, we've got the super seniors or the super rookies in those like Gearhart and Katie Joe and Bridget Watkins. They are not able to be in the running because they ran at least part of the Iditarod trail. They are not up for rookie of the year. It's simply those first true first time rookies. Ah, that I did not know. So very interesting. Michelle, what is our uh, text question? Well, it's pretty in-depth, and it comes from Stephanie, and I'm just wondering if it's the same Stephanie that joined our Patreon. Boy, I hope so. That's what I'm talking about in terms of engagement. <laughs> so she says, my name is Stephanie, and I'm a second-year obsessive mushing fan. Thanks to spontaneously volunteering at the Bear Grease last year. I went home to Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Thank you. And immediately adopted a retired sled dog in Maine. Listen to your shows all the time. Thank you. My question is about leasing dogs. People run big name teams like Kelly Maxner and Dallas CV's team this year. I saw the dogs respond to him and the commands perfectly professionally. Other people had Reddington dogs, etc. How does this work? How do they charge for this? Is it a straight fee? Percentages of winnings? Does the team dogs live with the competitor? Do they go home after the race? What can you tell me about it? And thanks again for your hard work. Well, Stephanie... This is quite a loaded question, 
And we appreciate you taking the time to ask all of these questions. So we're going to break it down again so Robert and Tony can kind of figure out what it is that they need to focus on. So, Robert, how does it work when you lease a dog, the dog team? Okay, so it does happen almost every year. Uh, and as as she mentioned, uh, the Reddingtons have a team in, in the race, uh, uh, both Dallas and... Uh, Mitch have teams in the race, and I'm sure that there may be others that we're unaware of, but it really depends on the situation with the musher. And I only know from my experience with mushers, I know uh, the way that it typically works is a musher will go into a contract with the with the uh, other musher, the Iditarod veteran, if you will, and they will typically go into a contract the year before. And let's talk about as, as if it's a rookie. So the rookie would go into a contract with the, with the veteran musher. They would come up typically the year before, possibly two years before, and they would run their qualifiers. They would be under mentorship, if you will, of the veteran musher. They would show them all the ins and outs, if you will, and run their qualifiers, get qualified, ready to run. And then almost always those folks go home in the off season and then they come back in time to do training and other races to prepare for uh, the, the upcoming Iditarod and then they will start again. Now, fee arrangements can range from, you know, a handshake or a help out, meaning, uh, you know, you're going to put in your dues by uh, working our tours or, you know, being a kennel help or whatever, mm-hmm. all the way up to tens of thousands of dollars. I've heard of mushers that have paid upwards to $70,000 for this. Now that $70,000 is pretty much uh, everything that includes the entry, that includes all of the qualifiers, that includes room and board, that includes everything. And, and, and most often that is divided up into sections. So most people don't show up uh, the year before and drop a $70,000 check Typically, it's paid out over those couple of years uh, in order to uh, continue. Now, what is interesting to that, it does not uh, guarantee an Iditarod finish, nor does it uh, guarantee any other any other qualifications, if you will. It doesn't matter if, if you've paid thousands of dollars and come up here and implode on your qualifiers and then you miss <laughs> the, the next Iditarod. You have to put, put in your your best effort otherwise it does not work uh what was the next question and i'm gonna have tony just run through the whole thing on her end as well because i know she has experience (laughs) with this well it the question i know the answer to this one as well but does the team of dogs live with the competitor absolutely not nope they almost so they, they they the competitor lives with the host kennel and so absolutely not on any green earth that I am aware of, would any host kennel say, oh yeah, you can go ahead and take my dogs wherever you live and they can stay there. And most often you cannot bring your own dogs either. Uh, so if you have a team of dogs, let's say you live in Minnesota and you're coming up to run with, with the CVs or whatever, almost always you cannot bring your team up. You're going to be using their dogs. Now we do have a neighbor. His name is Vern Halter multi-time uh, Iditarod and uh, Yukon Quest veteran. And for many years, he did this least team type arrangement. He had a guy up here, at least since we've been here, 
He's had a guy up here from Brazil that finished. Mm -hmm. He had a a guy from uh, New Zealand who did not finish. He actually scratched in Yetna. Uh, He had uh, several time uh, competitor uh, Cindy Abbott that uh, that leased teams with him. And what's interesting about Cindy is she came up here to run this crazy Iditarod dream. She's a uh, uh, Everest uh, uh, completer, if you will. She's she summited Everest and all sorts of other adventures, but her life was not complete until she did Iditarod. And she tried a couple of times, two or three times, and scratched every time. And finally, she came in uh, a third or fourth time, I don't recall which, and finished. And then after she finished, she convinced her husband, they were from uh, Central California, she was a professor at UC Davis, she convinced her husband to drop everything that they had in in California and move up to uh, Alaska, uh, to Willow, built a beautiful home right here in our backyard on Stevens Lake, if you will. And is now kennel partners with uh, with Vern Halter's Dream a Dream Dog Farm. Now that does not happen very often, and uh, this is where I'm going to turn it over to Tony. But that's a great arrangement to have. I mean, you you run two or three times, you probably pay a heck of a lot of money to do that. You finish, and then uh, you become partners with the uh, with the musher. I think that's a pretty cool story, Tony. What did I miss, or what do you know that's different? Um, you know, there's also like in Kelly Maxner's case, we know that there's some money probably exchanging hands, but he's not living on property there with uh, Dallas and his crew. He's coming in on the weekends to train. We see that with uh, Larry Doherty when he's down um, running with the CVs. Now his son is starting up his qualifiers to run Iditarod. Um, I think in the next year or two with Mitch's kennel as the handler. And that's the other thing is you can have these lease teams, but a lot of these teams, like in the case of Hunter Keith, who's running um, dogs with uh, Ramey Reddington or Eddie Burke, who's running dogs out of uh, Tony Browning and Aaron Burmeister's kennel. Those are apprenticeships that they do get a stipend typically Um, because they are doing the work, they're training the dogs, they're taking care of the dogs, they're at the kennel that's owned by whoever's dogs they are. Um, And this happens pretty much in, I think, every kennel. Um, You know, they they have this this working relationship, like you said, Robert, where a lot of the fees are taken care of, but they're not really throwing a lot of their own money into that. They're throwing their blood, sweat, and tears. They're raising these puppy teams in the case of someone like a Dallas Stevie or Mitch Stevie who's still competitively running, they're going to run your puppy team. They're going to be the ones to help develop the team, the the puppies that then will go on to compete for a spot in that quote unquote A team. So there are a lot of different ways that we we can see how these partnerships or these leasings happen. Um, and without actually being in the room when they make those deals, you don't know exactly how it goes down. But it's, it's a great opportunity for a lot of people. Look at Hunter and how well he's doing here in the Iditarod. He's running Ramey's dogs, I think, probably better than most others that have run Ramey's dogs. Um, and then Eddie Burke is just 
killing it out there. And Kelly Maxner is going to see a huge jump in his uh, standing in his uh, his race archives, if you will. So it, it those are all different aspects and different ways of doing that. Um, but they're very successful in their own ways. And it just, as far as how do they bond with the dogs when you have Hunter, who's been working with those dogs since they were very young, and Eddie as well, most of those dogs, Eddie said, were dogs that he's been running since they were on the puppy team. Um, you know, they have that bond. With Kelly, what he had to do was go to the kennel, start working with a big group of dogs, and then find that group of 14 dogs that had that bond with him. Yeah. And in Kelly's case, uh, there is an award out there called the most improved musher. And that's typically given to the musher that has worked his, his or her way up from the, the place that they finished uh, the, the previous time to a much higher place than they are now. And it looks like he will probably be the recipient of that award. He came in 17th place in 2020, and he's going to be in that looks like sixth place uh, this time. So I think he will, he will get that. But yeah, just uh, one other thing on what you said. I think there is a, a distinct difference between somebody like um, Hunter or, uh, or Eddie that is, you know, doing that blood, sweat and tears type work compared to uh, somebody that just comes in and says, Hey, I have an Iditarod dream. I have the money to do it. I have the mm-hmm. time to do it, but yep. I don't want to put a lot of effort into this. I just want to get to Nome. I think there's a big difference there. And to some people, uh, they frown on that a little bit. If we can be perfectly honest, they, they yep. don't like that. You know, yep. other people have, you know, struggled with this for years. And then, you know, as they say, money talks. Yep. If you can afford something and you want to do it, you can find a way. So I don't have an issue with it one way or another. Hey, if you're if you're out there and you're out there for eight, nine, 10, 12 days, whatever it is, and, and you get your belt buckle, whether you paid $70,000 for it or 20 or 30 or $40,000 for the typical team, it's expensive any way you look at it. So uh, yeah, that's, that's sort of how that works. So thank you, Stephanie, for that question. I have one other question that uh, popped up in uh, one of the Facebook pages, and that was, how many teams were in the first race? And I went and and did a little research right before uh, we went on, and it looks like 34 teams started in the 1973 race, nine teams scratched. And what's interesting in those early archives, at least on Iditarod.com, <laughs> it does not show where they scratched. It just says zero, zero, zero for, for, uh, for their time. So we don't know if they scratched, you know, at, before they even started or they scratched in safety. We just don't know, uh, where, uh, Dick Wilmarth ran the race in 20 days, 49 minutes. So we're finishing today. And I think it was eight hour, eight days. What was it? Eight days. And, um, uh, 21 hours. Eight days and 21 hours. But what's even more interesting, John Schultz, who was the Red Lantern winner in that first race, took over 32 days. So four yeah. times slower than Ryan's run today. That's I, I, I blame blue jeans. 
Oh, yeah. They used to wear blue jeans and, and Sears parkas back in the day. Uh, so, so yeah. I, and the sleds were not made out of hockey sticks. No, no. they weren't. Hey, hey, they were lucky. They, they were probably tied together. Two, two by fours and bailing wire and yep. Levi's Strauss yep. jeans. There you go. So I thought that was a really interesting history. I'd read a lot of that before, but just the... The differences between, uh, you know, today's mushers and back then. Uh, and that goes full circle back to, to our original story. I mean, we talked about, hey, it's been 51 years uh, since Joe started this race way back then with those jeans and those wood sleds and those 32-day races. And now here he is with his grandson uh, uh, winning the race in about eight days and almost nine days with eight days and 21 hours. So those are our questions. And I thank you guys for those. And we will keep those questions going until uh, our last episode. And Hey, even afterwards, uh, we will take those questions throughout the year because this is now a, a yearly sport, much like the NFL. So let's jump over to Hunter Keefe. He is our musher of the night and um you had already mentioned tony that hunter is running dogs out of ramey smith or excuse me ramey uh reddington ramey smith reddington. yeah ramey reddington who is barb <laughs> reddington's husband and interestingly enough they are the folks that you will probably come in contact with in the summer if you go to the iditarod headquarters both barb and ramey can often be found right there in the parking lot and they will hook up teams to their cart and take you on a run if you will uh really nice guy and like you said hunter has been putting in uh, a heck of a lot of work for this and uh is is doing very well michelle what do you know about hunter well everything you just said so okay. there you go all right so we we covered Aww. we covered we covered the bio um let's jump into um uh, your part of this, did you get a chance to talk to somebody on Hunter's team or possibly even Barb today? You know, I didn't get a chance to. I think they were all so busy in the last few days of traveling and getting to know them that I didn't get to hear back from anyone. Um, so I do apologize for that. But, you know, Hunter's been around for a little bit here in the sport. Um, Hunter had dreams from a very young child. Uh, of running the Iditarod one day and uh, he's running right now in 10th place and he shared on his social media many times actually he shared this picture he dressed up as a musher for Halloween one year the whole nine yards had the um, had the uh, giant sled dog that's like almost as big as he is and um, he's wearing a parka and snow pants and he has the bib, and the bib number is 10. And just trying to tie it all in, since Hunter's very uh, tied in with the Reddington family now, uh, when um, Ryan was talking about kind of his superstition for this, this race, uh, since you love so superstition so much, Robert, um, he, he had mentioned that he had had Chinese food right before the banquet, where they did the bib draw and he got a little thing that uh, in his fortune cookie that said that the, the number five would be very lucky for him that week. And then he drew bib number five. And here we are talking about Hunter Keith wearing bib number 10 
went as a child, and now he's running in 10th place in the Iditarod. So I think that's just very cool. Another little, another little superstition, if you will. Um, but it, it's exciting to see Hunter, you know, has bounced around from a couple different kennels. He worked for uh, Nick Petit for a while before finding his way to Ramey and Barb Reddington, and he's just blossomed as a musher. Uh, under Ramey's tutelage. So uh, it's been fun to watch him battle for that rookie of the year. Almost got it, but, um, you know, he can be very, very proud. It's not often that we have one rookie in the top 20, much less the top 10, and we've got two this year. And do you know what his future holds? Uh, you know, he's sort of like we talked about, those guys that uh, are the uh, apprentice, if you will, and he's running uh, Ramey's dogs this year. Do you have any idea what the plans are? I think he's sticking it out with, uh, Ramey for at least a little while. I know that, um, you know, he's tied in with, uh, another musher who has a small kennel. Um, but for the most part, he's running with, with the Reddington. So I assume that that's still going to be the plan, but who knows? I, I hope that they ask something like that they're the finishers uh the finish line or the finishers banquet yeah I, I would like to know that as well so let's move into our uh question from last night we asked what you guys listen to on road trips or if you were a musher what would you be listening to on on the trail michelle what did you say for for your picks i said rock and roll and audiobooks Rock and roll and audiobooks. And what did you say, Tony? You said show tunes from Disney. And I said uh, Rob Zombie Rock and Podcast. Those were our picks. What came in? I know it's, it, it's turning down a little bit as we get closer to the end, which can be expected. But I'm sure you got a few responses back and forth. What did you learn? So most of the mushers that chimed in, they said that they don't listen to anything. They just listen to the dogs. They listen to nature. They're really in the moment. So very much uh, Ramey Smith type uh, feelings there. Um, we've got some throwbacks to Joan Baez. Um, Morgan Elizabeth on Facebook, she's handling for Brent Sass this year. She said from Thanksgiving until New Year's, I sang Christmas songs to the dogs. But otherwise, I have an eclectic playlist that is exposing them to a wide variety of musical genres and artists and my not great renditions of them. Um, and then for the most part, uh, we got a lot of answers about audiobooks, which I apparently have a lot of nerds for followers because I didn't realize audiobooks were so popular for road trips. I'm one of those, I got to have a beat. I can't have somebody talking at me the whole time or I will fall asleep and that wouldn't be good for anyone either behind the wheel or behind a dog dog team. I'd be Eddie Burke falling off the sled and walking 15 miles until I find somebody. Yeah. I don't think I would be a huge fan of audiobooks. And as we talked about last night, Michelle really had to twist my arm to listen to uh, the Foo Fighters <laughs> audiobook on that road trip because I just can't get into the same story for hours and hours, but uh, yeah, like you said, a lot of people are audiobook fans. Uh, I don't know how those guys do it. All those miles uh, without listening to anything. Can you imagine just being out there totally silent pretty much except for 
checkpoints uh, uh, for 9, 10, 12 days. That's a long time. I don't like to drive to Anchorage with the, with nothing on the radio or at least uh, something in the background for sure. So interesting takes on that. I really like how people hearken back to old school music. I, I saw that um, uh, uh, Marilyn Mapes, who is Meredith's mom, Meredith is an Iditarod mm-hmm. finisher, and they're both very active on on Facebook, and she has to be around my parents' age, and she said she always listens to the oldies, and I remember on all of our road trips as a kid, we had to suffer through all of that 1950s bebop stuff, and uh, my goodness, those were long trips to Florida from D.C. every every Mm -hmm. summer for sure. So tonight's question is sort of related to um, the, the big finish. And I know that we have a wide variety of sports fans that are our followers. Some of them might just be strictly mushing fans. They are only followers of Iditarod and or only followers of particular mushers. So this question may be easy for them to answer. And it could be uh, this year's Iditarod finish. So the question is, what was the greatest moment in sports you ever witnessed? Now, witness does not have to be, you know, you were at the uh, 2002 Super Bowl with your with your buddy. <laughs> it could be on the internet. It could be on the radio. It could be anything uh, that you witnessed that you recall. What is your greatest sports moment you ever witnessed? And I'm going to have Michelle go first this time. Michelle, what's your uh, greatest sports moment? Uh, watching our daughter cross the finish line after her first 100-miler. Ah, so the Willow Jr. 100 back in the day, I guess that was, what, 2011, 2012, I don't recall which, but that was a pretty pretty big moment for her, finishing that first 100-mile <laughs> race for sure. <laughs> All right, Tony, what about you? What's the greatest sports moment you ever witnessed? The 2015 American Cornhole Championship. Matt Guy was awesome. <laughs> I am totally kidding. Totally kidding. Um, I, I, you know, I've already uh, referenced this once tonight. And Anonymous, I know you think that I eat, sleep, breathe this musher, but uh, whatever. Um, (laughs) sign your name to it next time and then we'll have a discussion Uh, I was there in 2017 when Mitch Stevie came in with his dogs he came in so early um, way earlier than anybody really expected that they were still putting snow on front street as he was coming up so we had to weave between the the heavy machinery that's putting snow down for him to run on Um, and he came in breathless and he was like, I just couldn't slow them down. Um, and that was just a huge moment, not just because it was much CV winning, you know, he, he broke the, the record for fastest time and oldest champion. Um, but because it was the first time that I was ever in Nome. And if you can, if you ever get a chance to go to Nome to witness the finish, um, whether it's first place or 18th place or the Red Lantern, it's such an experience. The entire community comes out for it, but there's also this community of mushing fans, aficionados, mushers, their families. 
Danny Seavey wrote a wonderful blog piece uh, a few years ago that really explained just what it's like to be there in Nome with all of it going around. And it, it is, you're almost like in like the Disney World bubble that us Disney fans talk about where it's just your own little world. All of the people here, you're like family. You won't, you won't know their name ever probably, but yet you can have these long, very deep conversations. And then in a week it's done. And so I think that was probably my, my greatest or favorite, at least sports moment. Okay. And as a huge sports fan, I'm trying to think of what my greatest moment was. And it, I've seen, you know, lots of Super Bowls, a heck of a lot of Stanley Cup finals, uh, a heck of a lot of Iditarods, as Michelle mentioned, our, our kid coming in in both um, uh, the, the Willow Jr. as well as the Junior Iditarod. Uh, a great moment in sports, obviously, is the 1980 hockey team, the Do You Believe in Miracles thing. But I'm going to go back to what Michelle said. Uh, it was uh, Nicole's second Iditarod, junior Iditarod. And it was just me and her. We were she, They were running on the Denali Highway that year. And uh, she... Uh, went out, uh, you know, just, just like she always did. She had no, uh, intentions of doing anything better than she did before the year before the year before she was the red lantern winner. She had a really slow run in that, uh, first year. That's when they left from Martin Booster's place, ran around the, the, you know, to Yetna station and back. But the second year on the Denali highway, uh, I was expecting a much, much later finish than what she did. I remember sitting in the little hotel room in Cantwell and and uh, me and, of course, uh, Michelle and one of our clients, Eric Skousen, uh, who uh, worked with us with his service dog, Thor, we were all glued to the trackers. And this is really the only time I've ever followed trackers on a race. <laughs> I know we talked about that last night. We were all glued to the trackers. Michelle was here in Willow. Eric was down in Sitka or Skagway, wherever Sitka. he lives. Sitka. Sitka. And there I was in the hotel room in Cantwell. And I remember us all talking back and forth. Oh, she's here. She's there. She's here. She's there following that tracker. And she came into that finish and she did not come in last. She was not uh, the Red Lantern winner. Uh, she was dead middle of the pack and uh, had a big smile on her face, even though she had a, a heck of a issue on the trail with, with a couple of our dogs. But yeah, she, she came in with a dog in the bag. Came in with a dog in the bag. But uh, by far, as a dad, as a musher, as a fan of the sport, as you know what it takes to finish one of these races, by far the greatest uh, sports <laughs> moment I ever witnessed was uh, when... Nicole came in as the um, as a I did a junior I did a rod finisher, and interestingly enough, guys that are listening to this, very soon after that she graduated high school. She pretty much said, "I am done with mushing. I'm going to go live my <laughs> life. I'm going to move to Anchorage. I'm going to have my own job and all of that." And it took uh, several years for her to come back. And now she is a partner in our business. She works very hard in our uh, dog training business and uh, she helps out a lot in the kennel. But 
It was just a couple of weeks ago, like less than a month ago, she was on a dog's team for the first time in how many years, Michelle? How many do you think? Six? Yes. Six or seven years uh, she hadn't been on a dog team. Pretty much right after that junior Iditarod, uh, she had not been on a dog team. And she got back on and she says, my goodness, that was fun. Now, I don't know if she will ever run in a race again, but it's interesting to see how everything comes full circle. So a long-winded personal story there, but I'm sure uh, that was by far my greatest moment. So guys, the Iditara, I did a question of the day, and Tony will post it before or right after we end, is what is the greatest moment in sports you ever witnessed whether it's this Iditarod or something on TV or something you went with your parents or maybe even something you did. Tell us what it is on our socials. So, Michelle, did we miss anything or any other stories you have before we go? Well, it looks like Jesse Holmes did secure fifth place, so congratulations to him. And I can't tell who's on deck. Maybe Tony can because what I'm seeing on... The uh, website is not what Tony was telling us earlier. Uh, the the Iditarod website shows uh, Kelly, Matt, Milla, Eddie, Hunter. And I believe that's not right. What do you think, Tony? Yeah. Uh, we've got Kelly Maxner. He's pulling in to Nome in the next few minutes. And then right now... It looks like Eddie Burke and Matt Baylor are still, it looks like Eddie may have just passed uh, Matt Baylor. So Eddie will, it'll be either Eddie or Matt Baylor coming in after Kelly Maxner. Milla Porcel's behind those two. And then it's Hunter Keefe and Wade Mars battling for that top 10 finish. Well, sounds like we've got quite the battle going on there for the next four or five mushers to come in. So I hope that everybody still stays glued to our coverage. Uh, which, which actually is a question before I turn it over to you, Tony. So it looks like there are several mushers there, like you said, Matt on down to about Christian who have either left White Mountain or um, or still there. What do you think in terms of uh, between now and 7 o'clock tomorrow? Do you think we're going to be way down into the 20s um, in terms of finishers by then? Um, let me just peruse here. I think we'll be, well... Katie Joe isn't quite into White Mountain yet, so I think we'll see the top 15 for sure finish in Nome by the time we record. I don't know that we'll be all the way to the Barrington's place and below. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too, because uh, Riley, Ramey, Anna, and Christy are all there either in Koyuk or have just left Koyuk uh, this afternoon. Yeah. So that's still quite the run for sure. So, yes, we will be back tomorrow night. And, uh, Tony, what did we miss? Or what else do you have to add that we haven't talked about already? I don't think we missed much of anything. I think we've done a pretty good job covering. Um, you know, like Michelle said, stay tuned because the, the stories are coming. Now that the race will be over for that top 10, top 15, 
the stories of the mid to the back of the pack, they really start to come out because nobody's paying attention to the front runners. They're all done. And I know you mentioned last night that the insider promised more coverage from the middle to the back of the pack. Do they ever uh, head back or do they just pretty much stay in Nome? What's their, what's their position there? They actually have live cameras um, in several different checkpoints that they leave until the, the last musher comes through. So they have one in Unalakleet, they have one in Koyuk, they have one in White Mountain, and they have one in Nome. And all of those will stay up until the last musher comes through those checkpoints. Um, but as far as like Bruce Lee and Greg Heister, they're pretty much done. They don't do a whole lot of coverage after the champion comes through. Liz Failer has done a great job of doing interviews. They're not posting them, but I know that she's been doing them. Um, so those will pop up in the next couple of days to rewatch or to watch if they were never live to begin with. Um, but I think for the most part, we just get images now. We don't get a whole lot of talking, um, which is kind of a good thing. How come they don't post? I don't know. I think that that's kind of disappointing. I, I agree. How come they don't post those from Liz? It seems like that's a lot of work for, for very little return. Um, they typically do. Right now, they're having issues. They haven't really posted a whole lot of videos um, in the last couple of days. I don't know if that's something to do with why you know we had the issues that we did today when Ryan came in. Um, they do post those interviews. It's just that sometimes they're a long time in coming, like this year. It's been days. Um, but they do. They're they're live, and then they whatever interviews happen live, they do record them and then post them so that you can go back and rewatch them. Well, what I think is, is disappointing is the fact that when the race gets a winner, those that put the insider together and, and all of this coverage just simply go, ah, it's over. And that's really sad considering that the actual story isn't just about who wins. Well, if, and, and I thought about this last night, if you think about the Olympics, which is sort of this same deal, they're talking about figure skating and hockey and, you know, track and field and diving and swimming and all that, and all of those get that huge uh, primetime coverage. But there are sports, and of course it has to do with time zones, but there are very interesting sports and very interesting stories that are either tape delayed or on at 3 o'clock in the morning, even though they competed in the afternoon, whatever. I guess it's really just about, uh, I guess it's just about the dollar. You know, where can the dollars be spent and... Uh, uh, what story do they have? We talked a couple of nights ago about um, how the NFL does it with uh, when, you know, we talked about Al Michaels and his crew and how they have production meetings and all that. So it's going to be interesting to see. But as Michelle said that same night, that's why we do this podcast. And it looks like if we have that top 50 uh, ranking on, on the podcast uh, feed, <laughs> uh, at least we're telling stories that nobody else is. And, uh, People are listening. I know we have a couple of competitors out there, uh, especially some new ones this year who are trying their best <laughs> at best. So good luck to them. And uh, if you ever have any questions about uh, how to do this, you can definitely reach out to us. We're, we are not uh, ashamed to to help you along the way. So I guess it's my turn to pay the bills, if you will. 
Thank you very much to our Patreon supporters. Hopefully you stick with us in the off season. That would be excellent. I know at least a couple of you have the famous Idita cookies that will continue on for the foreseeable future for the super fan level. Uh, remember, you can get all sorts of perks by doing that. But we do all of that so we can keep this show going for free for folks that cannot support our show. The show has always been free. We're not going to put it behind a paywall or anything else like a lot of other podcasters do that says, yep, the only way you're going to listen is if you pay us a few bucks. We will not do that. We do this out of out of our passion for the sport and I guess just hearing ourselves talk for a couple hours a night. But otherwise, uh, definitely hit that subscribe button now more than ever because when the race is over, uh, Tony and I do bi-weekly shows and you want to make sure that you get those. And then lastly, make sure you tell your family and friends how to listen because I bet they would like this show as well because they're probably saying, how come Mary is glued to her iPhone or headphones or whatever every night at 9 p.m. when we should be watching Netflix? Uh, Why is she listening to a podcast? Well, you could be listening right away with her or him At the same time, we have good friends and fans, uh, Patty and Richard, who are uh, rabid fans of our podcast. (laughs) They've been fans since the beginning. They are. And and I, I was on with Zoom with Richard just the other night, and he says, no matter what's happening, uh, at some point in the evening, Patty will chirp up and say, it dropped, it dropped. And they and they will drop whatever they're doing. I don't know what they're doing, if they're watching Netflix or reading books or whatever they're doing, but they will drop whatever they're doing and listen to our podcast. So that's saying something. So our goal every night is to get it up in time so that folks like Patty and Richard can listen to us before they head off to bed because we don't want people to have to listen to us in the morning because then it's old news. So uh, that is my spiel. I hope that you guys will stay tuned for us tomorrow because we still have Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night of our Iditarod coverage. And then we will jump right into our off-season coverage. And boy, do we have something to talk about in a couple of weeks. I sent over the link to uh, Michelle and Tony this afternoon. There is a new podcast series, an undercover series from some folks in New Hampshire. What do you think, Michelle? That could be a very interesting review here on this podcast. Well, considering that I was driving when you sent that, I didn't dive deep into it. So that (laughs) does sound very interesting. And I am looking forward to it. But yeah, so sometimes I can't like do all things while I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's going to be very interesting. Tony, what are your thoughts on it? I actually know some of the people that um, are involved. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see it from that perspective. I, I know a little bit about the story, but I don't know the ins and outs. It was very, it was talked about in social media when it happened. Um, but it was all kind of vague booking. Like if you weren't involved, you didn't really know. They spoke almost in code, um, for various reasons. And so I'm kind of interested to hear the full story because 
my imagination always runs wild. So it'll be interesting to see what this uh, podcast has to say. Yeah. And I am um, uh, friends with the executive producer of that, uh, of that uh, podcast. I don't know how much involved they are uh, with the production on this particular series, but I have a little bit of a uh, personal connection to it. And of course I have the mushing uh, uh, connection as well. So I know that both Tony and I, we spent about 15 minutes on messenger back and forth today and, uh, looking up, uh, historical facts about whom we know that are involved with this. And it's going to be interesting to see how they tell the story. So if you have no idea what we're talking about, this is just one of those teasers you get at, uh, Sweeps Week, as they used to call it back in the day, uh, for the upcoming series here on Mushing Radio. And I bet that's one of the first things that we do here on Mushing Radio after Iditarod, because that first episode drops this week. So if you don't know what we're talking about, read between the lines, start doing some research, and uh, let us know your thoughts on social media tonight. So remember, the question is, what is the greatest sports moment you have ever witnessed. We will talk to you guys next time. Goodbye. From Dog Works Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.